all you plugots and frowls out there, it's time for us, Movie Mastery, where we scan the movies that you tell us to, because those are our plastic regs. I'm John, and with me as always is Jeff. Uh, yeah, hi, I can't believe you did that. Yeah. <laughs> there was neggy way I was going to do that. God damn it. Uh, that's cold, man. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. I believe you're going to try and, I don't know, hot nuke me now? Uh, uh yeah, that or declare the whole situation totally plastic. <laughs> no, plastic is good. No, I know. If it's Wago, uh, then no. it's crazy. It's one of those two things. Either I'm going to try and beat you up or you're going to convince me. That's where I'm at with it. Oh, okay. I yeah, see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see. Wanted to make sure that there was a... T- yeah, yeah. <laughs> so in case you're confused, so were we when we watched America 3000, a movie that was more into its own type of talking about things and its weird little turns of phrase than, you know, Clockwork Orange. <laughs> yeah, no, this definitely has a language. Yeah, yeah, it is a post-apocalyptic movie, it, you know, America in the year 3000. I, I assume it's the year 3000, That uh, that's what the title of the film is, after all. I know, I mean, I assume that it's that, but we can never truly know, because nobody knows what year it actually yeah, is. Yeah, no one remembers what happened in far past Merca. Indeed. Which was popular. Back when the great nuke landed from the Mercas and Commies, and they're waiting for the return of President. They weren't Mercas, they were Merkins. (laughs) Ah, that's what it was. Merkins. (laughs) A whole country of Merkins, far as the eye could see. Just pubic wigs dotting the landscape. (laughs) Uh, This movie was... uh... I don't know. This movie more or less defined to me why I hate it when any 80s movie that didn't fucking succeed immediately now has the label cult classic. You know, sometimes See, movies are just kind of bad. I was watching this and I was like, I kind of love this. <laughs> like, there's definitely a large part of me that is like, wow, this is awful. But, ooh, I'm so into it for some reason. <laughs> I mean, it's probably because their dedication to having a made up language uh, was so over the top and and committed from start to finish uh, that they kind of went ahead and just didn't really have a story that matters. Uh, yeah. That, I mean, there's a story, obviously, but it's a pretty basic-ass story. And the end result is, yeah, this is kind of neat because you're watching all these people talk with extreme conviction in the dumbest fake language you ever heard. Uh, oh, yeah, that's the thing, is it's it's actors and actresses that are, like... Talking with the same, like, gravitas and cadence as if they were trying to do Shakespeare, but instead of, like, the old Shakespearean English, it's dumb post-apocalypse English, and it's just amazing. Yeah, yeah, that's basically where we're at. But then the problem is that the story that they use to tell that is some sort of, like, whoops, women accidentally got power, let's fix that. (laughs) I mean, so uh, also... I gotta say, the uh, production value on this, when I looked it up, I was like, wow, 1986? This really looks like it was made in, like, 76. (laughs) Well, ultimately, Golan Globus subtracts 10 years from when it appears the film was made. That's, that's, if you see the (laughs) the Menachem Golem and whatever Globus's name was, or if Globus is even a guy, then you know full well that your movie's gonna look shittier than it should. Yeah, well, that's fair. 
But I think that just added to the charm for me. I, I guess, I, if you say so. I, yeah. I mean, there are certain aspects of this where I'm like, haha, that's kind of funny. But mostly, I spent my time just being like, ugh, I hate this this battle of the sexes bullshit that this is. <laughs> In a very well, there literal you go. sense. I think, I think that is a pretty good non-spoiler review where I think this deserves its cult classic status and Jeff <laughs> does not like it. I'm saying there's a couple things in here that are culty, but overall it, it was buried under the bullshit regressive ass crappy old politics. So so there you go. Yeah, pretty good pretty good uh, pre-spoiler review. All right. So we are going to be back. We're going to play a little bit of music and then we are going to dive deep into the full spoilerific review of America 3000. back and it is time to really get our hands into the meat of what's going on here with all of this ridiculous nonsense oh yeah this is i mean just right off the 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 beginning of the of the film this is going to be one of those movies where when they were finished shooting it and they were sitting in the editing bay they were like shit we don't have a whole movie here there's no way anyone's going to know what the fuck is going on so haul in chuck wagner and we're going to have him just explain shit like the narrator all the way through the movie well technically it's william wallace no, doing I know. the narration i know it's gruss not corvus who's doing all the narration it's the mo- the movie is narrated in in the same style as 300 by one of the very good friends of the main character and not the main character themselves yeah although i gotta say right off the bat they got me because i was like oh you're doing a like one of those post-apocalyptic uh, dominating female society with males as their slaves and they're whipping them in. But like the opening narration is straight up like record scratch. Yep, that's me. You might be wondering how I got like this. And I'm like, oh my <laughs> God, that's amazing. It does definitely have that opening. Uh, we're shooting in Israel here, pretending very strongly that it's a post-apocalyptic Colorado. Mm-hmm. And uh, the movie is set after some sort of dramatic nuclear war, which surprisingly gets explained about halfway through the film. Uh, In the aftermath of the nuclear war, women rose to power, uh, if not everywhere, certainly within the immediate walking or horse riding distance. Yeah, I mean, there's a point in the film where an old woman essentially explains that in the time after the great nuke, Uh, most people were all, you know, irradiated and messed up, but eventually a kid was born that was basically fine. Like the radiation levels have gone down enough that they didn't have, you know, horrible tumors or anything. Right. And from that point on, apparently, I guess women took charge, but enough men didn't evolve or something because it's very, it's, it's very weird that they have this whole story about like, Oh yeah. You know, there was this whole thing where Mm. our society was like this. Then our society is like this. There's no real roadmap for how we got from here to there. Yeah. Yeah. No, there, there's a, there, I mean, obviously you need a couple of scenes missing to explain why these people don't know 
anything at all about their own civilization or history. Um, so, yeah, we, we start with a bunch of captured men being led into a kind of Amazon warrior woman camp. Uh, these people seem to have directed their uh, reconstruction efforts and technology in very specific ways. Uh, their camp is entirely tense with dirt floors, but good Lord is their hair on point. Oh, yeah. Well, the the men are known as Plugots, which are sort of feral men. Mm-hmm. And then they call the women Frals. Now, you're saying Frau, but but I'm pretty sure on a on a uh, investigation of the movie that I've been doing, it's actually just Frau, like the German word for old lady. Except they very clearly put an L in there. Eh, if you say so. Uh, but I... I mean, that's what I thought at first was that it was Frau, and I was like, "That's odd that you would just decide to use German." Well, but well, every no, time I heard them, I was like, "Oh no, you're saying Frau." Like the the thing is, uh, there's a lot of words in this in their made up language where they've clearly just taken an old word for man or woman and reworked it. And Frau becoming Frau is one of them, and their word for male slaves being macho is the other. Yeah, you've got Macho are the male slaves, and then Cedars are the males of the Plugots that they're like, all right, you're clean enough and good-looking enough that you can be part of our, like, harem. Right, yeah. They, uh, literal sex slaves uh, used to generate more more humans, effectively. Yeah, now the leader of the Frals is the Tiara. Mm-hmm. And from what I can gather... The person who gets to lead is whoever has the biggest hair. Yes, no, uh, absolutely. Because we start with with uh, I think her name's Linka. No, no, Linka's uh, the Freya. bad guy. Freya, Freya's the yeah, Freya. The the fr- no, Linka's the friend. Yeah, okay. Uh, Freya's the 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 starting Frau Tiara. She's the starting Tiara. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and she rewards her second daughter with the position instead of her first daughter. Uh, meaning that Vina takes over, played by, by Laureen Landon, who is wearing the biggest, most outlandish wig in the world. I was like, I really hope that's a wig, because if that's your hair, God, what have they done to you? <laughs> uh, she is on very strong record as hating this movie. Oh, I even just briefly looking at the IMDb, it was like, trivia, did you know Laureen Landon threatened to quit acting in this film because she hadn't been paid for several weeks? <laughs> I didn't even know that. I just knew that there's a uh, there's there's I've seen a documentary about Golan Globus and and uh, all of their kind of antics in the 80s and so on. And there's an interview mm. with her in it where she burns a copy of this. <laughs> she was uh. aggressively angry about this film. I had never heard. I, I mean, I watched her burn it in the documentary like a year ago, and I didn't know what it was, and I had no interest in digging it further. Uh, that's. When, when you first sent me a message being like, this is the movie, I was like, why have I heard of that? <laughs> I mean, the other thing is, it got up to 130 degrees while they were shooting this film. So, having to be out with the world's largest hair in 130 degree weather when you haven't been paid for several weeks, I can understand why she would be like, yeah, fuck this movie forever. <laughs> I'm out. Go ahead and put Linka in charge or whoever. It doesn't matter. So we we get this scene in the beginning of uh, Freya, the, the current tiara, and her two daughters walking a line of male slaves and evaluating them for their roles. Uh, they are either set for macho, which is that they are now going to be slaves forever, or cedar, which we find when they come across one fella who's kind of got nice cheekbones. Um, I found this scene to be a little troublesome because 
Like, she's like, this guy seems like he might have cedar potential. After all, he's got nice cheekbones. And then she cuts his loincloth off so everyone in the camp can look at his dick. And and <laughs> they're all like, hmm, yes, yes, this is the one. Cedar. And I'm like, wait, why? But they don't like it. None of the whole movie is very strongly indicating that none of these women like sex at with men at all. Why or would they <laughs> even know what that would look like? Because when we get to a point where we actually see what goes on with the whole cedar thing, the guys are in full burkas. Yeah, they have so big that masks the women over their don't face. have to look at them. Yeah, so picking a hot guy with a big dick is the exact opposite of what they be, they should be doing. Oh yeah, you'd think you'd go like. All right, which one of these seems like they're the strongest and probably the least irradiated? And that would be our good seed block. Yeah, but obviously... But instead, we, they're just like, who's sexy and got a big dick? We need the jokes, is the thing. The movie, this movie, you'll be an hour into this film, and you still won't be sure if it's supposed to be ta- taken seriously or not. You're pretty sure not, I, but... I'm pretty sure not. Mostly not. It seems pretty comedic. <laughs> I mean, especially with uh the voiceover from Gruss, who at this point is telling us Corvus is one of the ones that they decided to be a cedar. Gruss, of course, was gonna go be a macho because he's just some idiot. Mm-hmm. And apparently Corvus decides, nah, screw that. He fights back and steals a horse, and in all of the like uprising commotion with all the plugots, Gruss is just like, well. Any port in a storm, I'll jump on this horse with this dude. Yeah, yeah. He's like, well, he was looking for an escape, and he took the first one that was available. And I'm not even sure if the characters were supposed to have known each other at that point or what. I I have no idea. I mean, it seems like they just sort of rounded up whoever they could find in the wild. Yeah. So they may have been from whatever, like, the same tribe of feral men there's a bunch of problems because there's the other thing you run into here is the next thing after them like robbing a cart is that they are now at what they've they've long called camp reagan and they don't remember why they call it that but the shot is of them building it like brick by brick they're laying it out and it's these same two dudes so they may have been completely feral before this capture and then afterwards been like Let's get some society. Well, because what happens is... I know. This is while they're still kids. Yeah. Uh, does this scene take place? And they go into uh, part of the old, like, forbidden zone where uh, the women aren't allowed to go. hmm And they find a briefcase in some bus that has a bunch of, like, businessman clothes, but also an abc's book of how to say words with the mouth representations yeah that's a weirdly useful book yeah it's very strange that a like ah yes this gentleman with business suits and a top hat in a briefcase also had a abc book for babies and you're like (laughs) all right sure why not yeah the upshot of this is that it gives them some language tools that they had previously otherwise lacked including knowledge of their true name you see, they are not Plugot. They are man. Negi more cedar. Negi more macho. Only man. Yeah, apparently the word man has incredible power for these people. Um, to, to the point where it, it's more or less the dominating feature of kind of the climax turn of the movie. Yeah. Uh, also, I gotta say, they use Negi in basically every single way you could use something that's a negative. So it means... No, but also never, and also occasionally bad. I think it also means nothing. 
Yeah, so, anytime it could be a negative quality, it's just like, yeah, we'll use Nagy for this. Yeah, uh, good thing is plastic uh, to attack anyone is to nuke or to pain. You pain people as well. Yeah, well, pain people is to hurt them, nuke them is to kill them. Yeah, uh, there's there's a whole language and they all are very dedicated to talking in it all the time. Uh, oh yeah, they've got, uh, I've just got a whole list of words here. I, they have shelt for house and comb for like a settlement. Right, yeah, they keep saying uh, comb. Uh, weps for weapons, regs for their rules, uh, plastic is great, and toys are the men that they take that they turn into eunuchs that are then also generally have their, like, tongues cut out that are just, like, kept as pets, I guess, they're or, like, like, house servants. They're like half pets and half target practice. Like, there's... I mean, I, I think toys are more along the lines of, like, kept around as being servile. How Like, macho are manual labor, and toys are like, go fetch me a drink. Right. Well, okay, so we get these two characters kind of start building, rebuilding Camp Reagan out in the uh, in the Colorado desert, and they more or less build together a ramshackle collection of like crappy shacks and walls and so on. But it's not in the dead zone, so it is a place where uh, the where the women can go and will later on in the film. Uh, and w- when they're digging through this cart to try and find food, they don't find food. Instead, they find one guy whose tongue was cut out who becomes their buddy, and they find uh, a top hat, which Gruss is going to wear. Uh, no, the top hat is from when they get the stuff. Uh, is it? The, the old clothes, yes. Oh, okay. Because it's his thing from when he was a kid. No, that's yeah. how you know who he is when he grows up. No, no, that's what I thought, I thought that was what I was talking about. When they when they raid the cart, they find the... They find no, the cart is when they're adults. Oh, is it? Okay. I, I thought that was... They also dug through a cart and came up with uh, a, a hat and some food and that book. No, the f- the book and clothes is from when they're kids and they escape. When they go after a cart, it's when they find Amy the toy and some food and some weapons. Riveting. All right, let's move forward. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Look, if you don't know when things happen, then don't try and say it. Oh, good news. I watched this movie like three days ago. I fucking hated it, and here we are. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we get set up where... Uh, when we go into the future, Corvus and Gruss are kind of leading a movement where they've now got an entire settlement that they find, like, sort of feral men out in the wilderness and domesticate them. They're like, all right, we'll we'll go ahead and give you a shave, you'll take a bath, and we'll teach you some actual language skills, and we're going to make it so that, you know, we're going to try and raise our sex up so that we have some sort of rights. Yeah, I'm still very unclear as to the functionality of the... I guess it's just a reg in their society that women... What they do is they they sleep with dudes when they absolutely have to, and it's implied that they sleep with each other otherwise. Um, and then if the baby is a boy, they throw it out to die. And it usually they usually don't die. They usually grow up to become feral men. But then they go out and catch them again, and they're like, God damn it, now we need to train you to be what we want. And I'm like... Why don't you just train them as babies? Well, because then they'd have to use resources to keep them alive. Ah, that's because fair. Because if they just go out and capture them when they're of an age that is useful, then they're like, oh, great. We didn't have to take care of you for like 13 years. Awesome. <laughs> well, uh, it, also, the women, of course, have slightly higher technological advantages and can talk. 
so they've spent time like inventing the smelting of weapons, uh, learning about horsemanship. Yeah, they definitely have the ability to make some like crude daggers. They've got some very crude crossbows that they have. Uh, and when the cart raid actually does happen, that is where Freha ends up getting killed in the raid. Right, because those aren't even, like, when that ra- that cart raid happens, it's not our two heroes that are really doing it. There's a bunch of, like, dumber, more feral plu- plugots that are affecting the raid, like, basically cartoon cavemen. Yeah, you can tell if someone's gonna be part of the actual, like, good guy men people or a plugot by how ridiculous is their fake beard yeah if they have a giant dumb fake beard on and they're kind of hopping up and down and going oot then that's the lower class of plugot men who have yet to have been contacted um so they they affect a raid on this this cart with freya uh she fights valiantly all the women are constantly this movie has a lot of very long fight scenes in it yeah i mean (laughs) i agree with you when when you said you know they didn't have a whole lot of explanation or stuff going on, so they needed to add in this voiceover. But also, they they have a lot of points where they're like, but we have an entire fight scene, and we definitely paid for people that kind of knew what they were doing, because several of the women are very good at fighting. Notably, several of the women are very good at doing running jump kicks. Because if you're a fan of watching running jump kicks, this movie's got 15. <laughs> uh, so but yeah, the... The Plugots mostly get killed and Freyha dies, which sends everyone else, like all the other women, kind of abandon the cart and take her back to camp. And that is when our heroes Corvus and Gruss go pick over and like scavenge the remains. And that's when they find Amy the toy. Yeah, they get Amy the toy and they drag uh, Amy and all of these Plugot men back to their camp to kind of like make men out of them. The back at the uh, Fralcombe, mm-hmm. we get the medic who does a chant of Red Cross, Red Cross, yeah, Red Cross, yeah. The the <laughs> God damn it, uh, she manages to get Freya awake for a minute, just long enough so she can say, uh, "I'm gonna pass on the mantle of Tiara." To my daughter, Vina, even though everyone thought it was going to go to her sister, Lakella, because Lakella is a badass warrior and Vina just, I guess, is useless. She just (laughs) sucks. I mean, I'm not I'm not going to mince words on this one. She mostly seems to be dedicated to her haircut. Yeah. It's like, look, I've spent my entire youth working on this up here. So notably, the moment she gets power, she's like, well, great. I guess I'm in charge. Someone teach me what all of our fucking customs and shit are. And and I'm like, you grew up in this society. Not only did you grow up in the society, your mom was the head of it. You'd think she would have told you something. (laughs) Uh, And of course, the moment she's nominated uh, Tiara, they, two people come riding into camp on news of Freya's death. They're people from, I think they said it was either Tulsa or Oklahoma. Um, uh, I can't remember because they, I think it's, I'm, I want to say Oklahoma because it sounded kind of like Oki or Oka. Yeah. But then the leader of that group, the tiara of those, is called Morha. So I kept getting like, wait a minute, are you from Morha and your name is Oka? What is, no, god damn no, it. No, she's from, I'm pretty sure she's from the Oklahoma tribe of Frowls. And her name is Morha. Um, and and, and uh, she's just there to stir up shit. Yeah, it's weird. She shows up. 
There's no timeline for why she showed up, what she's doing here, when she's going to leave. It's just her and her buddy show up, and the two of them are like, it's stupid that Vina's in charge. Should have been her sister, Lakella. We'll hang around and cause problems until it is, and then you and I will win somehow. <laughs> I love that she keeps saying this, that like, oh yeah, we're going to go ahead and depose Vina and have Lakella take over. And then good times for us. And I'm like, why? How? What? I <laughs> what are you getting out of this? I think their idea is that if they are responsible for the transfer of power from Vina to Lakella, that Lakella will owe them a favor and they'll use it to consolidate their own power. I guess that or they might be like, we're super warlike and we know Lakella is, but Vina isn't. So it's better for us if Lakella is in charge? Yeah, it's almost like they just heard that Freya died and they came out here to make sure that that Vina didn't get in charge like on an accident. They were like, "Well, we can't let <laughs> we can't let Hare get in charge on accident. She's ridiculous. Completely ridiculous." Uh, I mean, granted, she's not completely ridiculous because there's a point in this movie where she wanders off by herself for a while and comes back having invented grenades. Well, that is Freya's final sort of, I guess wish for Vina was, oh, I've got something in my house that you need to go take a look at. And she confides in her friend Linka. She's like, oh, hey, I found this map that uh, Freya left me and it's out in the forbidden zone. But, you know, it was my mom's dying wish and I'm going to go try and do that. And I guess in the cave that it takes her to, are the materials and plans for homemade bombs. Right. Well, all she comes back with is like soap on a ropes that she calls thunder, thunder rocks. And they're just exploding rocks that she can throw everywhere. Like she's fucking Ookla the mock or some shit. It doesn't make any, what these things are makes no sense. Well, they've got big old wicks on them. They are essentially old timey bombs. Yeah. No, she, she basically invented the, or not invented, but I guess found in a cave old-timey bombs right by the other spot in the Forbidden Zone where there were real grenades and shit. So someone was like, well, let's stockpile actual laser weaponry and grenades and assault rifles and decontamination suits. And then, you know, next door, let's have someone build big cartoon bombs that you'd use to threaten Scooby-Doo. <laughs> now, to be fair, those are not right next to each other. <laughs> oh, they are if you scale out on Colorado enough. I mean, <laughs> in in a galactic scale, they're basically on top of yeah, each other. Yeah, on a galactic timeline, they're at the exact same location at the exact same time. <laughs> the best I can figure about the existence of the Thunder Rocks is that in some point in the thousand years between when the, the nukes happened and this is happening, other people also came back out of the nuclear holocaust, built some silly explodey butt rocks, and then died off again. Yeah, I... Like, I kind of assume that this must have been a, during the initial fallout, is, like, some people got, like, just probably gunpowder and put it in a little wax ball and was like, this ought to be good enough. <laughs> and then they died from radiation and s somehow Freya got a map to this? Well, presumably, yeah, Freya, either Freya got a map to them or she found them herself and was like, well, I don't need these because I'm a raw and ridiculous badass. But when I put my <laughs> but when I put my dumb daughter in charge, you better believe she's going to need an edge. 
oh yeah, I'm going to put my worst daughter in charge. And when I do that, she's going to need these bombs or else she's probably going to get deposed by Morha of the Okla. I also like that when Freya is dying, like when she's on her deathbed and she's like, I put Vina in charge. Even the nurse is like, what? Why? That's dumb. <laughs> she's like, it is Even my... Even Vina is like, no, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> and she's just like, it is my will. And I'm like, but why? Why? Honestly, if she lived long enough to explain it, it still wouldn't make any sense. And even afterwards, Vina's like, hey, Lakella, here, you be in charge. And Lakella just kind of goes, no, I serve the tiara. And I'm like, I guess maybe you're doing that to save face in front of everyone. But you probably should have just gone, yeah, you're kind of dumb. Yeah, I mean, maybe give her like the the five. There's got to be like a five second rule on tiara transfer ship, right? Where, Where when... Freya dies, they have to be like, Anne Mulligan. Yeah, yeah, she... <laughs> oops. We, she, oh, she said Lakella. We all heard Lakella. You guys heard Lakella, right? Last breath, she went, oops, daisies, meant Lakella, said Vina, you know, brain fart, I'm dying. Anyway, <laughs> you know how when you're mad at your kids and you forget which one you're mad at, so you just cycle through all their names? It was... The- <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it is one of my favorite ju- uh, things that parents with multiple kids do. Oh, I love it when my mom does that with names of people that aren't even her children. <laughs> like, she'll go through my uncle's name, my nephew's name. <laughs> Just like, oh, come on. Well, anyway, Vina's put in charge, and we get a lot of scenes of her just sort of wandering around sad because she doesn't want to be in charge. Uh, notably, there's her friend Linka, who she's bonding with, uh, and t- saying like, well, even though I'm in charge now, it won't change our friendship or anything. And then... Linka doesn't really care, because Linka's got her own problem going on, uh, namely that it's her time to go get seated. Yeah, it is her season to go and do her duty as part of the tribe to get pregnant. Uh, she it- needs to become Pregante, and then that'll be great. <laughs> yeah, and Freya's, or, or not Freya, excuse me, uh, Vina's like, hey, it's not as bad as you think. It's disgusting and stupid, and it's not like the good sex that us women have, but it's over really fast, and you'll, I'll be with you the whole time, okay? Yeah, as you grow, I shall also be there with you. Uh, All right. Yep. So, meanwhile, uh, at the man camp, they're planning... <laughs> Corvus has decided to create a plan for liberation of his fellows. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it turns out this is the perfect time, because the ladies are going to have a big celebration to commemorate the death of the old tiara and the crowning of the new one. And Corvus's plan is like, all right, we'll wait until they're all super drunk and passed out in the morning afterwards, and then we'll sneak in, steal all the weapons and food, and free all the men. I appreciate, there's two things about this I particularly appreciate. One of them is that uh, they're like, well, we're going to wait till the women are all drunk and passed out. And then the second one is that during this raid, they discover that alcohol exists. Yeah, I think they know what happens. <laughs> they just have never when tried When a party happens, they're like, oh, when women have a party, if for some reason, the next morning, they're all messed up. But they don't know why. Yeah, they haven't put that together yet. Because during this raid, one of them's like, well, I am thirsty. I require s- beverage. Glug, glug. Ah, hold on. I am pleased by this sensation. Yes, this is Gruss, our narrator, mm-hmm. who is like, ah, time to stop looting and time to get piss drunk. <laughs> I also like that he reacts to it by being like, I am instantly drunk in a pleasing way. 
<laughs> I have had one sip of this probably incredibly ridiculous nasty alcohol. I am wasted. I am like a teenage boy who has had a sip of beer. I am drunk now. <laughs> I mean, I don't he never really acts drunk exactly. He just gets immediately pleased. What it's like he takes a swig of it and he goes, "Ah!" Like cuz you know, it tastes like nasty alcohol. But then he goes, eh, and he just takes another big swig. And I'm like, what happened? Did did the nasty taste leave? And so you're like, oh, good. It feels really good when I am no longer tasting nasty swill. Mm, mm, I got to mm. chase that high. I mean, the booze is still in your <laughs> mouth, buddy. You're not drunk. <laughs> uh, oh, also, so t- I, I don't want to leave out the best part of the movie, John. We get introduced to the character of Linkella, the, uh, this, this older sister who should have been in charge, uh, because she's fighting... The town monster. Uh, I don't... Was that Lakella who was doing that? Was I thought some, it was just some random person. I think it was someone in particular, because they made a point of talking about how they were... Uh, oh, meanwhile, the, that, the person in question, so they were talking about whoever was in there for some reason. I'm pretty sure it was Lakella. So Lakella is fighting Arg the Awful. And Arg the Awful... Arg the Awful is a Bigfoot. He's <laughs> a Bigfoot. He's a Harry and the Hendersons. <laughs> Arg the Awful has a very different role in this movie than I thought he was going to. Well, given that... Because they introduce him, and it's basically like, you know, like Chewbacca in Solo, in that it is just a monster in a pit that you might have to fight. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, ultimately, I don't know if you've seen the poster for this movie yet. You know, I've seen a poster for this movie. In the poster for the movie, Arg is is prominently featured on the cover, has a shirt on, and is holding an American flag and a boombox. Yes, I see that. Yeah, so if you've seen the poster for the film, then you'd be like mildly disappointed to learn that this character never has a shirt on. Uh, (laughs) I'm so disappointed in his lack of shirt. Yeah. Uh, he's just sort of, they make, Gruss makes a point in the narration to be like, oh yeah, he's basically a throwback, a uh, mutation in the human genome that has left him all kinds of goofy and stupid. Uh, he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's even more Plugot than Plugot. <laughs> yeah. And for some reason, the, the women have kept him around as sort of a fighting toy and he doesn't try to murder them when he wins in combat with them. He just bodily throws them out of his cage. Yeah. Just hucks them up and then starts laughing about it. He's like, <laughs> Yeah, the character, the, the guy's got a lot of personality, but his name is Arg the Awful. Indeed. Yeah. So. Uh, now, Corvus <laughs> finds Lena in this, or Vina, mm-hmm. sleeping at some point, and has a moment where he's like, yeah, I like that. I like a good amount of hair on my lady. <laughs> and then, like, he gets interrupted from his perving to be like, oh, we're having a problem trying to free the Plugots, because... They're all dumb idiots and they don't know what's going on. So he has to come in and be like, don't you dream of Nagy being machos? Nagy toys, join me. And it turns out that most of them haven't even been been, uh, bothered. They don't bother teaching these guys to continue learning how to speak. So a lot of them are just like, "Uh, uh, uh," kind of stuff. And uh, he basically lures them out of the uh, the cage they're kept in with beef jerky. (laughs) Come on. Come on, who's a good blue Well, I mean, it's great because he gets this chance to make like a dramatic speech where he's like, I shall lead you to freedom. No more neggy cedars, neggy plugots, but men. And then nothing happens. And eventually one of them just kind of goes, and he's like, fuck, fine. Here's food. Here's food. Fine. Fuck it. Yeah. Oh, I forgot. We have eats. Okay. (laughs) We got eats. Hot eats. Are you good with that? Wantum pluck pluck. 
And then that gets them going. They're like, oh, you have food. Oh, cool. Yeah, no, we're on board. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Then he makes the sad, sad mistake of letting out Arg the Awful. Yeah, because he's like, we free all men, every man, not even the monster. And Arg, of course, has no interest in being rescued. He just wants to wander around causing chaos. Yeah, his immediate thing is get up wander over to the old busted ass siren that they have that's like a hand crank and just start playing it he's like <laughs> e i like this noise ah, ah. he does say his own name quite a bit um <laughs> and and you know they're all like shut up you he's like bah, da, da, da. he doesn't care so he rouses the, the the camp uh and then we learn that the women largely fight by throwing invisible bladed things I mean, it's obviously just knives, but r- rather than having them actually throw knives, every shot of a wo- of the frows doing this is just th- one of them doing an exaggerated motion with clearly nothing in their hand, and then a <laughs> and then a <laughs> sound played, so you know that they threw a knife at someone. Uh, yeah. So they, I mean, they do manage to escape with most of the people, uh, including Arg. Arg makes it out. Yeah, and Arg apparently is perfectly content to just go with these guys because yeah he just follows them around they even when they get away for a bit they're like we cannot get rid of this guy he will not stop following us he smells awful he's dumb he's loud why did we bring this thing they're like well it would take more effort to try to get rid of him than to just let him come along yeah so for the entire rest of the movie this thing is just wandering around at the dude camp just sort of fucking around with shit in the background and kind of just Every once in a while, the, the camera will turn to him and he'll be like, ah, and that's, we're done. That's, that's ta- a full take on what Arg the Awful is all about. Yeah. Now, Corvus has to lead the incoming Frowls away from his friends as they go back to the camp. So he takes a couple horses and some branches and stuff and ties it to the back of the horse to make a bunch of smoke so that he can make it look like everyone went a different direction. And that is where he will be eventually shot by Lakella and fall into an old fallout shelter bunker that is where the president was staying. But don't worry, he gets shot so badly that he literally forgets he got shot on the on the way down in the fall. I mean, by the time he lands, he doesn't even have a hole in his shirt. Oh, no, he does. He gets saved by his book. How, oh, his book takes the brunt of it for him? How lovely. That, yeah, that's he got good. shot in the chest, and that's where he keeps his book. Yeah, fair enough. So now he's in a fallout shelter where uh, he, he's just going to be confused for a while. Because apparently... Yeah, we get the caveman in technology scene where he, like, gets in and the bunker's lights immediately come on and he has to, like, cower and go, No! Don't nuke me! Oh! Oh, fearful God! Nagy nuke never! Nagy! <laughs> and, uh... Yeah, eventually he gets over it, starts wandering around. There's a skeleton in a suit looking at some computers. There's there's uh, lockers full of laser weapons and a big gold spaceman suit, which I it's just I a decontamination suit. I don't know what that suit. was for. It's decontamination. It's it's a uh, it's a uh, a radiation hazard suit from the from like the 60s. Okay. Yeah. Which is strange given that they have laser weapons, but then also like a very weird old decontamination. Well, it's, suit. it's yeah, it's very strange. This movie it was made in 86 
has technology that's, or they specifically say that the nuclear holocaust event that happens happened in 1992. Yeah, well, one of the things we see during the celebration with the Frowls is they have a drum set with a banner on it that says Rolling Stones Farewell Tour 89. Yeah, so... Which was very optimistic of them. Uh, but yeah, we know that the nuke event happened in 92, uh, but the technology level that appears to have existed at the time of the nuke going off is, well, there's laser guns, but there's 60s telephones, uh, all the furniture is made out of Bakelite, and they got like a waterbed in there. So we're talking, it's like, it's the 80s and the 70s and the future. Yeah, it's a real, <laughs> it's a real aesthetic they got going on here. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I kind of get it because it's supposed to be like a NORAD shelter and, you know, those things were all built in the late 50s. So it it, it kind of makes sense that it's got outdated 60s computers and shit in it. I guess. But uh, ultimately, it's just that we're thinking about this way harder than they ever did. <laughs> it's true. Uh, uh, now, Corvus gets just a bunch of like grenades and guns and a whole bunch of nonsense. Well, don't and... forget the scene where he where he watches the little video. Oh, yeah. He watches a video that comes up from someone talking to the president, and that essentially sparks the idea in his head that he should pretend to be the president. He also goes out in the full gold lame suit, finds the head of the toys hanging out out there, uh, Lels, mm -hmm. and Lels sort of like drops to his knees and is like, oh, great president, I believe in you. Right, and at this point, he's still just wearing the suit, carrying a boombox, has a bunch of guns slung over his shoulder, he's riding a couple of horses, and he's like, oh, hey, yeah, okay, yes, me, president, me, Nagy, kill you, lest than you listen, plenty good, and basically <laughs> runs this guy through a bunch of bullshit. Yeah, and their current plan is, all right, we're going to go and kidnap... Uh, Linka, when she goes to get knocked up mm -hmm. and use her as a bargaining chip in order to have a like face-to-face -face meeting with the tiara so that we can bargain our way into no longer having to be like enemies. Be like, hey, how about you don't enslave people anymore and we be friends? Yeah, more or less. Uh, because uh, thanks to his book, Corvus is slightly ahead of the game on understanding old world tech uh, uh, functions. And so he's like, well, we men, they women. We should be in charge. Obviously, President <laughs> is man. <laughs> uh, I'll force a meeting at which they will bring me beer. Thankfully, it is not that. No, I mean, it's not that until the actual love scene in the movie where, where it kind of turns into that. Uh, but no, he has a whole plan to kind of do a raid on the camp that involves a bunch of pyrotechnics uh, and and uh, false flag operations where they, like, blow up a fake president in an attempt to display his magic. Oh, they basically do the Dread Pirate Roberts thing where mm -hmm. they put up the outfit on, like, a dummy and then shoot a bunch of fireworks and things and be like, I am president. Yeah. And uh, they're like, we will get a meeting with you. Listen, for I am president. Yeah, and then they blow up a fake suit and... Everyone in the camp is like, oh, even Lels, who's like dropped to his knees and is worshiping the president. But meanwhile, yeah. a be this a spirit <laughs> in a part of camp where where this is not happening. Uh, Linka, the friend, is 
being laid down on a bed with her eyes closed to be seated by a cedar. Yes. And they they just sort of go, hey, don't worry about it. Just lie back and think of something else. It'll be over quickly. And don't worry, we've trained these cedars so that they know what they're doing and you won't be hurt or anything. Yeah, again, it has to be... in comes a dude in a burka to be like, all right. And again, it has to be kind of a joke because this movie's got a lot of comedy elements to it. So when they're walking her to it, they're like, just lie down and don't worry about it. Don't worry, we train him good. Him know what do. So you know he's... He's good at laying ladies. That's that's even though they hate this and they don't like doing it and they do it because they have to and they do it on shift rotations and they make a big deal about how unpleasant the whole thing is. They're still like, yeah, but we train them to dick down right. <laughs> anyway, during her her uh, dicking down, she starts to enjoy it. Uh, and right as she's starting to enjoy it, the non cedar men come bursting in to to uh, kidnap her. And they also are like, we're going to free this cedar. Come with us, cedar. And they pull off the mask, and underneath is a very handsome fellow with way too much dark eyeshadow. Oh, yeah. They were like, you're free now. No longer Neggy more cedar. And they pull his, like, burka off. And underneath, he is just a male model. Yeah, no, he's got, like... He is like, I've got heavy eyeliner. I am just even, like, kind of some blush, like... Yeah, you, they went to a lot of trouble to make me up for a person you weren't supposed to see. He's got Billy Zane and Titanic hair. <laughs> Someone cut his hair to look that good. I don't understand what the idea was. At, but I, I guess, obviously, it's just that that obvi- if he's a sex man, he's good at being a sex man, even though he wears a like a, a chain link burka when, when he's doing the job. And, and as they're dragging the two of them off, he's still like, no, she liked it. She enjoyed it. She is a sex liker or whatever it is that he's, but effectively he's like a, some, a, some combination of intrigued and affronted that his cedar target was enjoying it. I mean, I think what we get, there's a lot of, you know, unspoken communication with things where, like, Linka and this dude are going to pair up. Oh, no, and... that's definitely spoken. At the, end of, at the end of the movie, the two of them are like, do a whole thing where they prep to pair up, and you're just like, oh, I get it. It's th- this, this particular pairing off is going to happen that because during their creepy-ass forced sex scene, they fell in fuck with each other. Yeah. Okay, well, that's great. When we do get the, uh, the meeting between Vina and Corvus, where he pretends to be the president until he doesn't, he's like... Oh, hey, I'm a man and you're a woman. We've got urges, baby. Yeah, well, first, like, they basically they send the message, like, oh, hey, we have uh, we, we have Linka. Just come out and get her and nothing bad's going to happen. You just need to show up over here, talk to our president, and we will let Linka go. So they do, and indeed, they just let Linka go. And, and she, Vina's like, why did you bring me here? What is this? And this is all after the scene where... Linka, or sorry, Vina has discovered Thunder Rocks and has used them to threaten those two bad guy ladies from some other camp. Yeah, she's like, all right, Morha, you don't get to tell me what to do because I've got explosives now. Ah." Yeah, and she's like, that's a curse. And she's like, you're not afraid of a curse. You're afraid of my fucking Thunder Rocks. Yeah, get afraid. Yeah, Yeah. she says idly swinging around gunpowder on a rope. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, we also have the scene when he brings back grenades, does Corvus, and they don't know what the hell they are. So a couple of them are just throwing it back and forth as a game, and then he blows up. Yeah, and he has to call all of these moron men back to the center of camp and be like, no, 
you, you guys, these aren't dangerous. That guy's an idiot. Well, now he's shoes, but he used to be an idiot. Yeah. But and yeah, indeed. Thankfully, Gruss found a comic book about war that shows someone using a grenade. And he's like, oh, shit, I know how to use those now. Yeah, I was kind of sad. He found a comic book about World War II, guys, and it was called War World. And I was like, oh, shit, are we going to get some, like, pictures of Mongol and shit in here? I'm excited about this. <laughs> but no. <laughs> no. Anyway, uh, basically, Corvus takes Vina alone to the uh, bomb shelter. And explains that the whole plan of the bomb, or we, we know already, that the whole plan of the bomb shelter was that the president was in there, and he was supposed to survive the apocalypse and then fix everything afterwards. But now it's up to us. We've got to make a new tomorrow. Anyway, let's have sex. And she's like, but you Plugot. And he's like, no, me man, and you woman, and uh, according to this book be found, you subservient. I mean, he doesn't actually say that, obviously, but... Basically, the moment he's like, no, me, man, now we fuck. And she's like, oh, yeah, okay. Well, yeah, they also have to have an entire scene where Gruss is like, well, no one had been kissing for the past 500 years, I assume. So they had to kind of figure that out. Oh, yeah. There's <laughs> so a whole... they just kind of like weirdly grope each other's faces and like smash it into each other until they figure out kissing. Good old watching Blue Lagoon again. But no, um... Yeah, there's a whole thing where where Gruss gets a bunch of voiceovers during the love scene, and he keeps making jokes. He's like, and their delicate negotiations had entered a particularly delicate stage, such as it were. And it's just the two of them kind of rolling around, and he's just like, come on, get on with it. Who cares? And while this sex scene now, is... Go ahead. I was going to say, now while they're boning down, Morha has decided to move and attempt to use this to put Lakella in charge by doing a raid on the man camp. Oh, uh, okay. So, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah, she does. She she plans a, a man camp raid. She finally manages to bully Lakella into thinking that Lakella will be in charge if she does this. Yeah, she's like, look, all we got to do is go take out these uppity men and disprove that they have a president, and then... You know, we'll be in charge because then there won't be anyone to try and fight us. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and by the time, it doesn't matter whether or not Vina's ever going to come back. Even if she does, she'll come back to us having conquered all the men and we'll be in a strong military position. And we'll just be like, no, uh, you are not the, either you are not the the Tiara or we will challenge. Because there's a, a whole through plot on the movie that you can challenge for leadership at any time. But Linkella doesn't want to do that because she doesn't want to hurt her sister. Yeah. So we get a whole thing where the men have a couple of guns and a whole bunch of grenades. The women have thunder rocks and jump kicks and horses mm -hmm. <laughs> and better combat prowess. Yes, they oh, well, they do up until the point where they're actually mixing it up in close combat, because then the women do jump kicks. But the men just keep picking the women up and doing that. I don't even know you call that wrestling move where you pick them up by the leg and armpit and spin around for no reason. <laughs> spinning power bomb. The spinning power bomb. Thank you. There's a lot of spinning power bombs to women in this movie. Also, a lot of men breaking women's necks while they're not looking. I mean, we we do get at least one of the women that we were shown in the camp. That's a weird thing because she was like, oh, fuck you. You think, Morha, you're going to get power? You don't care about us. You only care about power. And then immediately when Morha gets up and says, nuke the Plugots, like she also starts yelling. Mm -hmm. 
and is 100% behind it. But her fight scene, she has like a chain and she beats the ever loving Christ out of like 10 guys. Yeah, absolutely. It's mostly the, the gruss sequence where I'm talking about where woman after woman comes after him and he just sort of bonks them with stuff that's in the, cause here's the thing. I think the movie knows the, the people making the movie knew full well that if you just had a bunch of scenes of men beating the shit out of women, that it might not read that well. And yeah, so, so Gruss's fight scenes have to be very Looney Tunes, where he like hits someone with a plate or does a spinning pile driver. He just picks, he he just keeps picking things up so that the women run into them. So yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's less fighting and more. Uh, oh shit, I don't know what I'm doing, and I'm just lucking into things. Yeah, and a whole bunch of power bombs of women who are just sort of screaming and kicking their legs, and he just throws uh, he just throws them into wood piles and stuff. It's uh. It's funny because outside there's all these people getting shot and stabbed and and flayed alive and burned with things. And then inside he's just like, whoop, you punched a teapot. (laughs) Hey, I'm going to top hat on. I'm going to inspire that one Tom Petty video. It's real sad when you're like, oh, we've got like the horrors of war going out here as people are getting like grenaded and falling and everyone's bloody and shot. And then inside it's just. (laughs) Yep. Uh. Now, the (laughs) Corvus and Vina eventually go back to their camps after essentially they call it a tie Mm -hmm. because Vina comes back and everyone is absolutely fucked up at her camp. And Corvus comes back and he's like, oh, I get it. Vina lied to me. This was all a trick to get me away from here so that they could attack the camp. These damn frowls. Nagy more. Let's nuke them. Right. So he rallies what few men he has remaining, which appears to be all of them based on the, the size of the shot, uh, and and marches off towards the, the, the frowl comb to have one last battle to, to fix it all. Uh, and as they get there, all mad and with all their weapons ar- drawn and so on, Vina comes out and she's like, hey, if you're going to kill anybody, just kill me, I won't fight. Yeah, he's like, look, uh, I didn't mean for this to happen. This is a fuck up. If you want to kill somebody... You you can start with me. I won't fight back. She throws her weapons down and is like, but I hope that we can still come together uh, and make a new tomorrow and man and woman can just get fucking busy. <laughs> yep. So and indeed, that's what the happens. two of them make out and everyone watches and, re- and the voiceover is just like, and as people watched more, they got fucking horny for it. Yeah, and all these women who we've strongly implied throughout the film have become mostly lesbians over the course of the, the hundreds of years that they've been developing in this fashion. See one dude kissing one woman. They're like, Oh, right. We just forgot. Oh yeah. That's, that's fucking, that's what we want. (laughs) uh, The, the men and the women are all like, Oh, we should probably pair off then. I guess. Exactly. And we start the pairing off right away with, uh, Linka and the, the, (laughs) The dude who looks like he's in pulp or something. Yeah. Because the two of them both have crossbows trained on each other, but then they just shoot their crossbows into the same spot in the dirt, and then they rush forward to embrace and finish their banging that was interrupted. Their coitus interruptus. (laughs) Hey, yeah, and that's... (laughs) I was going to say that's about it, except Mm. this movie ends with my very favorite thing in the (laughs) entire world, in that Arg the Awful carrying a boombox does a jumping freeze frame as the end shot of this film. Yeah. 
He straight breakfast clubs this thing. Yep, he couldn't be more excited, so he just goes, ah, with his boombox, and that's the actual end of the movie. i got to say, <laughs> one of the things that disappointed me the most about this movie is that in the opening scene where they were dragging all the potential slaves in to be, like, interrogated by the women to see whether they be macho or cedar, uh, they were playing some badass rock music. <laughs> And I was like, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, please tell me this is a rock musical. If this thing's a fucking rock opera, I am 100% on board no matter how bad it gets. But it wasn't. I had the exact <laughs> same thing. It started up and it was like, oh, it's post-apocalypse. You gave us a little written thing about like, oh, the great nuke happened and whatever. But then the second like slaves and horses and whatnot started coming towards the camp it was like, and I'm like, oh, yes. Right, and there's no lyrics to it. It's just a bunch of riffs. So my, my thought was, oh, shit, is this a musical? If this fucking thing's a musical, I'm sold. Oh, yeah. But I was ready for them to start doing America 3000, the rock opera, and was mildly disappointed. Unfortunately, that's the only time outside of the boombox being mistakenly turned on at one point that you hear any kind of real music in this movie. And when the boombox is turned on, it's some, like, garbage mid-80s hard metal, which this dude has never heard music in his life. And he hears it, and he's like, ah, awful, no, wait, catchy? <laughs> Hold on, it was just too loud. Let me turn it down a little. Nice. <laughs> I like that the president was apparently listening to, like, Rat or something in his bunker while he was waiting for the world to end. Yeah, he's like, oh, man, I'm in this bunker until the world comes back into shape, and all I've got is a, a tape of Rat and, like, some sort of... 80s heavy metal because there's one song that gets played that's like very hair metal and one that is actually like grungy heavy metal yeah yeah so apparently the president was like a secret metal head uh because the only thing he had for entertainment was was like rat and striper tapes <laughs> it's great i'm a little sad he wasn't up to what the world was going to be like in 1992 so that all he had in there was like Mr. Biggs, be with you. <laughs> Dude, that'd be amazing. It just turns it on and it's just Nirvana. And he's like, oh, wow, huh? In this universe, we didn't have to wait quite as long for, for that pan to go to die with everybody else. Ooh, ooh ouch. This, ooh, is the one ouch this is the one universe where Mud Honey had a chance. <laughs> That's the joke I was trying uh, to get to. I was, walking, I was walking through a mile of suicides to get there. I apologize. <laughs> but ultimately, the goal was a mud honey joke. Uh, so there you go. There's America 3000. Let's go ahead and do our bests and worsts. Jeff, best thing in the movie. Uh, I'm going to say my favorite thing. You know, it's probably just the combat. Uh, there's a lot of trained professional fighters in this movie having cool combat fight scenes. Granted, there are three different fight scenes and all of them are like 10 minutes long. And so it drags immensely. But there's some really good stunts in this for something that mm -hmm. I was surprised to see stunts in at all. Yeah, true. So that's where I'm going to go. Good stunt work. What about you? Uh, it is definitely the freeze frame ending. <laughs> yeah, like I had gotten through this entire movie and then it does a jumping freeze frame and I lost my shit. Uh, I just a, cracked the fuck up. And a jumping freeze frame for the joke character that was not relevant to the, uh, to the film ending at all. Oh yeah. It's just it's like, so good. Meanwhile, somewhere in the Colorado desert, Bigfoot has a boombox. <laughs> freeze frame and then freeze frame I mean, by the jake Bigfoot has a boombox is definitely a good movie 
Yeah, and then he jumps up in the air and freeze frame starts to play. And also there is a freeze frame. <laughs> uh, all right. What's the worst thing in the film for you? Uh, I mean, ultimately, it's just going to be the whole like me, man, you woman type politics or like a uh, rebirth of the sexual politics type thing where this movie ultimately comes down to kind of a comedy battle of the sexes, which I just fucking save it. Miss me with that shit. So that's that's me. What about you? Ah! Oh, I <laughs> I think probably I want to say the entire Morha storyline. Oh, it goes nowhere. Because it made no sense. Yeah, no, it doesn't. And I think she died in the raid on the man camp. She's certainly not a big part of the ending in any way, so she must have died in that raid. Yeah, I think she was the first person to get grenaded. <laughs> That's great. This because she's like one of the few major characters in the film, and and yeah, they just they just offer because of her idea to just raid the man camp. I mean, I get it because how was she supposed to know the men had lasers and grenades? Oh yeah, I mean, as far as she knows, she's like. Oh, yeah, it's just a bunch of dumb idiots. Maybe they'll have some, like, sticks and rocks or whatever, but this should be fine. Right, but ultimately, that that scene is kind of particularly bad, because when they raid the man camp, and the men are like, oh, by the way, we have, like, grenades and guns and shit, the women are like, eh, fuck it, let's keep fighting them, instead of, oh, oh, whoops, okay, tactical withdrawal. Yeah, the second they get close and someone hucks a grenade and it blows up one of the tiaras from another camp, you'd be like, oh, okay, oops. We should th- rethink this. Maybe. Mea cu- hands up, mea culpa, mea culpa. Okay, good. <laughs> goodbye. All right, turn turn it around, turn it around, back home. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, that's that's a pretty good least favorite because yeah, it doesn't go anywhere and it takes up a tremendous amount of the movie of just Morha. So and, much business with Morha and her and her friend and the two of them being like, yes, when Vina leave, we trick Lakella, then we have yes. profit. And he's like, what are you talking about? This sucks. That's so weird and bad. Yeah. Uh, All right. So now we are each going to give the movie a rating from zero to five, which will give it a full rating out of ten. Jeff. Uh, Two? I mean, I did not like this nearly as much as you did. Uh, On the other hand, it does have a lot of competent stunt work and, and silly crap in it that I don't necessarily hate. I just don't think that this would qualify as the cult classic that it's being sold as. So two. That's fair. Yeah. I would give it probably a three and a half. Uh, It's definitely not the best of the like cult classic sort of films. It's not one that I would immediately be like, oh yeah, if you're having like a good, bad movie night and you want to have a bunch of cult classic stuff, it's not the first one I would recommend, but you know, it wouldn't be a terrible pick in my opinion. No, no, I I could, I mean... I guess if you were having a cult classic movie night, this would fit right into the, the like if you're going to be watching a bunch of post-apocalyptic cult movies that didn't go anywhere, you could pair this pretty well with like Six String Samurai and I don't know, a boy and uh, his, boy dog. his dog was exactly where I was going. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, a five and a half out of ten, slightly above the mid-range line for being decent enough to watch in the right circumstances. Yeah, perfectly fine. Perfectly fair. All right. So thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Movie Mastery. We have bonus content that we do for this. If you go over to patreon.com slash system mastery, you join us at the $5 level, you unlock bonus content for this show where we're going to go watch Smallville episodes and come back and talk about them. Mm -hmm. You unlock bonus content 
for Expounded Universe, where we deep dive into Wikipedia and find the dumbest crap in Star Wars lore. And yeah. you unlock we have so the bonus much. content for System Mastery, where we make ridiculous, stupid characters in the games we've reviewed. And you unlock our monthly Afterthought show. It's a lot. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a crazy amount. What is it, like uh, nine nine bonus shows a month at this point or something like that? It's somewhere in there. It is too much. We do too much. Yeah, that's at the and $5 level, so you'll end up paying about... It can about, be yours. That's about 10 bucks a month overall, because it, it's done by episode, because I was a moron in 2014. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Sorry about six years ago, Jeff. Uh, but yeah, that's about 10 bucks a month, getting you nine bonus podcasts. It's a ridiculously good deal. Yep, and of course, it helps us, keeps us going, keeps us being able to expand what we do, keeps us doing what we do, keeps the lights on, and lets us entertain you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, we'll be back in another couple weeks with more Movie Mastery, and until then, you have a good one.